Welcome to Hollywood Haunted, the podcast. We are tour guides for the Hollywood Haunted tours in Hollywood, California, coming soon this summer. And we are here to discuss everything from hauntings to murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown and also aliens and urban legends tonight. Uh, our hosts today are Patrick Bean, sitting right next to me, Jameson via the telecom, and Tia, hey, <laughs> and me, Tia Bean. Most of you know me. Uh, <laughs> um, some of you know me, I guess. Maybe I mean, it's your broadcast. It's so my probably, I mean, yeah. just here on Facebook. <laughs> Anyways, um, and that's it. Okay, so tonight we are talking about some urban legends. I totally forgot what Jameson is going to be talking about. Uh, oh, Jameson's here. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, don't forget about me. <laughs> Uh, he said, yeah, I can't remember what you said. It was like, yeah, I don't remember what your broadcast or what you were saying. Uh, yeah. What story are you doing? James? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm doing as Wong. As Wong? So I'm doing as Wong, which is, uh, as Wong is a, uh, a Filipino monster. Ooh. Ooh. Um, do you want to go first? Since, you know, or I don't know, you can go first or, um, I don't know, Pat's doing La Llorona and El Cucuy and I am doing the, uh, the folklore of the skinwalkers, but mine's very detailed and graphic. (laughs) So I don't know. And long what's new. Um, (laughs) yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Jameson, I think you should go first. I'm going to make the executive decision that uh, you go first. Or did you go first the last time that we were broadcasting? I can't remember. I feel like I make you go first well, a lot. I can, I can start off first. Uh, okay. No problem with that. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, go for it. I'm very interested. Okay. So uh, my wife is Filipino, and I kind of heard about the story through her Um it was, it was kind of said to me as a joke sometimes, uh, and then I started asking questions about it and uh, learned that, that this um, character from Filipino heritage is, is quite the popular character uh, on the island, uh, more so in the Philippines uh, than in the United States, but um, he is a, or it's a very well-known, um, I don't want to say demon, it, it, it's a lot of things, it can mean a lot of things, so let, let me break it down for you guys. Um, the spelling of it is A-S- W-A-N-G. So when I say Aswang, um, that is actually apparently two words that have been put together. Now, when I talk about this, obviously uh, for Filipinos that are listening to this, uh, I may get some things wrong, but because of the fact that this is a you know a, a folk tale, uh, an imaginary character, if you will, or obviously some people believe in it, um, facts are, are it, there's no such thing as a fact when it comes to this kind of thing. So if I get things wrong, I apologize, but there's so many different um, perspectives on this story and so many different uh, ways you could tell it that hopefully I'm doing it at least justice, but obviously there's going to probably be uh, holes in it where people are like, oh, that's not what I heard. I heard it this way and that way. So um, obviously it's a, it's a story and it can change and, and it cuts. So let's get down to it, shall we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, let's start with the name Aswang. So from what I understand, Aswang is actually um, two words put together. And the first word would be Asin, or, uh, which is uh, Tagalog, uh, which is the national language of the Philippines, is Tagalog. Uh, that means salt. So Asin is, or Asin is salt, and Bawang is garlic. So you put those two together, and you got Aswang. All right? So it means now, salt, uh, garlic? That's a good variety. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew the Philippines were chock full of all these monsters in the jungle? With all of these monsters and all of these, uh, you know, uh, imaginary characters, if you will, a lot of them probably meet up with other monsters in other countries, like, uh, you know, the Chupacabra or things like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure La Llorona will come up in there. Um, so I, I think every culture kind of has their, you know, evil uh, entities and whatever form it is, it kind of explains what happens. Um, in real life, you know, if, if you come out and you find your sheep torn apart, it couldn't have been a, uh, a coyote. It must have been a chupacabra. So uh, Filipinos, same thing. They have a, a long list of different um, uh, imaginary characters, if you will, uh, anywhere ranging from fairies to uh, wooded creatures that um, live in the trees. Uh, so there was about at least a list of 10 of them that I saw that I went over with my wife and she knew almost all of them. House okay. elves that hide things. Kind of, like I said, things that line up to, to uh, stories in the United States and, and elsewhere. But pretty interesting stuff. Hmm. All right, so um, let's go back to the beginning of this all. So um, when, when I was researching this, I was kind of curious as to where these stories came from and how they came about. And it would seem that in the Philippines, um, they, they were basically conquered by the Spaniards in the early 1500s. We're looking at about 1521. Spain comes to the Philippines and uh, introduces uh, religion and, and, you know, the modern way of thinking, if you will. These are island people, so uh, they're more, um, they're not as civilized, let's say. Uh, they don't have that modern civilization type thing going on their island. And so the Spaniards come in and completely just take that all over and tell them, hey, we're your new bosses and you're going to basically do what we say uh, you should do. Um, the story the story that I read was that it, before the Spaniards came, the, the people um, on the island of the Bicol region um, actually prayed to two gods. Uh, they had two gods called uh, Guguran. And uh, and then, which is the good, the good uh, god, and then you had Aswang, who is the bad god. 
uh, the evil god. Of course, you always have good and evil. Um, but as the story goes, uh, Gugurang was kind of a defender, a protector of the island. And uh, he, he lived in the mountain, um, and he controlled fire. And as the story goes, uh, as Wong was extremely jealous of the fact that everybody prayed to him because he had the firepower, and he wanted to kind of basically have some of that power and some of that love. So he went in and he stole fire. Uh, he snuck it out of the cave in a coconut shell. And when he got back to, to his part of the island, he didn't know how to control the fire, and he actually set the world on fire. Oh, damn. Uh, this really upset um, Gugurang. Uh, 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 yes, Gugurang, sorry. I want to make sure I'm saying that right. Um, this upset him, and uh, he went and, and basically took the fire back and has, uh, asked for the gods' help to put out the fires. So it started to rain, and that put out all the fires. And basically, you know, he... Uh, Banished uh, uh, Aswang to uh, to a mountain, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what was it? To Mount Mount Mayon, um, and uh, banished him there. So that was kind of like the early the early story that I could find about where Aswang possibly could have come from. Now, in that story, obviously, it's more of a god. Um, one, you know, one good god, one bad god. And, Obviously, anything bad happens, you can blame it as, as long, and all the good stuff happens, you, you, you go to Gugurung and praise him. Um, when Fainers come into, into the Philippines and take over, um, women on the island are kind of uh, in power as much as the men are. Okay, um, You have these women that are kind of in control, uh, saying that uh, sexuality on the island was kind of uh, prevalent, that, that basically everybody got along, and sex was good, and uh, women were, were equal power, and so there was all these, these, you know, these equal rights, if you will, on the island. Um, there was a lot of um, people that were specialty that had specialties in the villages. Uh, so you have people that are like um, like herbists uh, that can you know that can heal you through the power of like uh, you know plants and, and herbs and things. Um, you had shamans uh, and midwives and, and like I said, herbalists. Uh, and so these women had a lot of power and sway in the villages, okay? Hmm. And when the Spaniards came in, um, the Spaniards basically were like, yeah, women do not have power in here. Uh, you, they're, they're, you know, they're servants. They're, they're, they're there to take care of us, basically. And so it was seen <laughs> that the Spaniards started kind of demonizing these women who had these powers, these, 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 um, these shamans and stuff, and they started kind of basically spreading bad propaganda about them and saying that, oh, you know these guys are really witches, right? Like, these people are doing all this stuff at nighttime, and um, they're evil, look at these spells that they're casting. You guys have never known this, but they're they're bad people, and you should you should be afraid of these women. Um, obviously, with the Spaniards coming in, there was a lot of uh, trepidation as far as trying to, to, to conform with the Spaniards' way of life. The Spaniards obviously were forcing this religion on them, and they were kind of being subjugated to this stuff. So a lot of these women were, were um, having these revolts that were uh, brought up, brought upon at nighttime against the Spaniards. And so same thing, you know, uh, these evil women are out at nighttime and they're witches and they're causing all this, this havoc. Um, and so they started kind of feeding these stories into the, 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 the people, uh, you know, not in the big cities, not in, not in, um, uh, the bigger the bigger towns and the bigger cities, but the smaller rural villages, these are the ones that are really susceptible to, to, to being scared. 
And uh, so, so these Spaniards just start filling these the, the, the um, villagers with all these horrible tales of all these demons and monsters. And you know, if you if you go out at night, then these guys are going to get you, and you you can't pay any attention to these people. So um, they really basically just sat there and painted them bad names until until the the stories kind of stuck and started really freaking people out. These stories kind of became folklore in the fact that I think that these stories serve a lot of purpose. I think that um, uh, the reason that they do this is that good things come from, well, not not let's say good things, but um, there's reasons for it. So like, for instance, your kid's sneaking out at nighttime. You don't want your kid sneaking out at night. You tell them scary stories, they're going to be more likely to stay inside because they're Mm -hmm. afraid, right? Um, You have things like... um, uh, when I was talking to my sister-in-law about, you know, I was asking her, what do you remember about hearing about Aswang? Uh, and she would say, oh, like if you're walking down the street at nighttime and you saw a stranger walking towards you, you always wanted to say hello to the person before they said hello to you. Otherwise, you would, you would have, like, you know, you would be cursed and you would go home and you would start to get ill and they would have to get, you know, they would have to perform kind of like a ritual on you to, to kind of get the bad demon out of you. Mm-hmm. So... You know what I mean? So it's kind of like these, to me, that's more of like a, just be polite, you know, say hi to somebody, you know, um, as opposed to uh, trying to scare somebody. But, you know, it's almost like there's morals mixed in with these stories here. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if bad things happened, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago, when people had a miscarriage, they didn't know why they had a miscarriage. So they had something to blame. Them. Oh, you had a miscarriage. It must have been as well. You know, oh, this happened. It must be as well. So, Things happened, obviously, and you need and people, humans need reasons to blame things. They they need to be able to pin it on something. Right. And when shit goes awry and you don't have a solid answer, you blame it on a team, right? Yeah. Straight up. So, um, so to, to me, these stories were introduced by the Spaniards um, in about 1521 or so. Um, they they really they ruled the Philippines for about 300 years. So they really had a heavy influence on them. If you, if you ever meet any Filipinos, um, there there's so many um, Spanish uh, influences on them, from their names down through their religion to everything. So it's it's uh, uh, definitely impacted their their uh, society in a huge way. And a lot of people still to this day believe in these demons. Um, when you when you go there, uh, when you're in when you're in the smaller villages, when you're on the outskirts of, uh, outskirts of like Manila and stuff. A lot of these people will not go outside at night because they're really frightened that something might grab them, that there might be something to kill them out there. Um, I can imagine being in the jungle and hearing crazy sounds, you know, bats flapping over your head or, you know, animals making strange noises, um, frogs, whatever. There's a lot of things out there that, you know, three, four hundred years ago would not be explained very well. And, um, and and your imagination can run wild. I don't know if you guys have ever been stuck in the woods or anything at nighttime, but you, your imagination can really catch up with you very yeah, quickly. Yeah, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, you're stuck in the jungle, you hear these noises, it must be, it must be a monster. Um, when I looked up um, predatory animals in the Philippines, I did not see any type of animal like a puma or a tiger or anything like that um, that I could see. Everything was like a snake. Or, or, or something from the ocean, like stingray or something like that, um, spiders. But there was nothing, any kind of like a large animal that would maybe possibly tear somebody to pieces and could explain why people thought that there was these animals or these monsters or demons out there doing such damage. Interesting. That's a little frightening. Yeah. Um, 
mean, that, that's not to say that people did find these people ripped apart. It's just yeah. obviously things would happen and they're blaming it on Islam. So yeah. the question is, is what was it that, 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 these, that, that was happening to the animals that were, or, or to people that was causing these, these rumors to fly around? And again, I think it was just kind of introduced uh, to kind of scare the locals into thinking the way that you wanted them to think. And to kind of, uh, and then, you know, once you hear a story, then, oh, well, I saw Islam, and then that wasn't a story. My friend saw Islam. Did, did you hear this? Yeah. You know, and then 400 years, 400 years later, you, you, you saw these stories kind of being spread around. Well, I mean, the cooler kid always so, saw it. I've seen Aswan. You know what I mean? Like, the cooler kid always saw it. And they want to scare somebody. They want to make it seem like, oh, you know, my uncle was killed by an Aswan. Did you know? Right. You yeah. know, so, absolutely. Absolutely, it's part of, uh, like, I want to be cool, too. Let's get down to, to what Aswan looks like, what, what Aswan is, um, and we can go from there. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, so Aswan, again, like I said, comes into five different species or, or five different types of, of monsters, if you will. The, the core aspects of them are all very similar, um, and, and it would go like this. So Aswans are, are shapeshifters, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stories uh, pose the fact that, that an Aswang could look like a normal village person. Uh, they could even be married, and the husband would not know that. Um, and by the way, most of the time, Aswang is a woman. It's almost always a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, this is detrimental to, to women that were in power 400 years ago. They really wanted to give women a bad name. Uh, so, Aswang is, like I said, is always a woman, you know, very beautiful, known in the village, but... Um, but definitely a woman. Um, she's a, well, she's a Jameson, but, don't you know us? Us women are always trying to trap men. That's our main prerogative. You oh, know, totally. <laughs> That's what makeup totally. is for. There's a reason that a vagina looks like a bear trap. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, like you have a son. Like <laughs> what? Well, he's not in the room right now. I can say that. No, I mean like. I mean, I would assume you've seen a vagina, but okay. <laughs> Works. Just I mean, opinions. The I, you know what? We're gonna move on. Um, yes. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so, uh, so as long as they're shapeshifters, um, they, they 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 eat flesh. So some of them eat dead bodies, uh, like the uh, the carrion eating ghouls. Uh, that they'll they'll eat dead bodies. Um, some of them like to eat the the, the sickness of. A, and the, the garbage that comes out of your body, they like to eat that. Oh, okay. I mean, that's, um, that seems love, like a good thing. Love, do, you, do you guys know what viscera is? Or is viscera is like a, a general term for like your yeah. gut, basically. Mm-hmm. So anything, if I ever say viscera, it's like, you know, it could be your intestines, your liver, your heart. Yeah. All it's, all, it's, all your, it's all your guts, basically. So uh, they, <laughs> love, they love the, um, feasting on liver, uh, especially. Um, and uh, pregnant women are like big time number one target oh, of the pregnant women. Hmm. Right? I wonder if um, that just like is a way to explain like, yeah, like you said earlier, like miscarriages or, you know, that things go wrong in pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a lot, I mean, especially if you don't have what we have in modern science today, you know, like, and we're still advancing, you know, with birth. Birth is very complicated. I assume. I've never done it, but. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely, uh, you can explain it away if anything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you were attacked by an Aslong. If there's any sort of uh, problems with your pregnancy or your birth or the baby itself, uh, clearly it's not my fault or it's not genetics. It's, it's Aslong. Um, so, uh, the typical shapes or the typical animals that, that the Aslong takes um, and they're usually black, would be a black bird, a pig, a bat, or a dog. Okay? So those are the typical animals, and all of them have extremely long tongues. That's like one of the one of the ways you can tell if it's an Eswan. Mm. Um, you can also tell if an there's there's also other signs. There's, there's like a ton of signs. Everybody has their, their, their you know, ways that you can tell smells and things like that. Uh, if they have bloodshot eyes, it means that it, it, it's because they were up all night feeding. So if, if you see bloodshot eyes, that's a bad sign. Um, if I look into your eyes and my reflection is upside down, you're an Aswang. Pat and I are looking at each other right now. Uh, I can't see my reflection uh, at all. Right what does that mean? My ears are right side up. Yeah. You, you pass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That means my eyes are shut. Yeah. So if you see everything, if you see your I'm good. Pat's eyes, good. We're good. Yeah. It's cool. We're no, good. Okay. Noah's Wong's over um, here. <laughs> oh, uh, if you see if you see one of those animals and they're black and their their feet are backwards, that's an Aswang. Ooh. Okay. So you got a dog with backwards feet or a pig backwards Aswang. Okay. Um, She's sleeping on them. They feed with their tongue, so I'll get I'll get more into how they feed in just a moment. But um, I I found also that um, you can become one. Okay, so you can become one um, by putting a fertilized chicken egg on your stomach. Okay, and when the when the chick um, comes out of the shell and passes from the egg into your stomach, um, you now are an aswan. Right. Um, usually. Usually, the Aswang has a chick in its stomach, and it regurgitates it into your mouth, and you swallow the black chick, and that's how you that, that's how you can become one as well. Like if the Aswang passes it into you, um, that's awesome. Wow. You, uh, what is this? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a whole story to this whole thing. Here. Um, let me see here. Uh, oh, okay. So when if you if you want to do it yourself, if there's not an Aswang around you, and you find the black chick. And, you, and, you, and the chick goes into your stomach, then you must take the eggshell, the leftover eggshell, and you have to bury it in a bamboo tube with coconut oil and chicken dung. Okay? If you do that and you bury it, you will become as well. All right? Damn. Write this um, down. I know. <laughs> now, ways you can kill the Aswang, there's a few ways, but one of the interesting ways that I found was you can decapitate it or you can whip it with the tail of a stingray. Mm-hmm. Right? So I guess if you whip him, that will that will kill it. They didn't say you had to hang it, just to whip it. But you have to use a stingray's tail. Um, now, uh, again, going going into these things, you know, you have you have old creepy women that are around the village. 
you know, just like, you know, the, the creepy neighbor around the corner. I was just, I was just, just watching Home Alone last night and they were, they were telling the story about how the neighbor was like a shovel killer or something like that. <laughs> so he's an ass wong. Clearly. <laughs> he's an ass wong. Exactly. <laughs> uh, clearly if you, if somebody looks like a freak or somebody's just, just creepy looking, you can just automatically label them a witch or an ass wong or just, you know, they have all, all sorts of different names for each particular character. But um, as Wong, like I said, is just kind of a general term for anybody that's just kind of creepy looking and you think would possibly want to do you harm by eating you or something. Now, my favorite, the, the most interesting, the one I think you're going to get the kick out of, and I was thinking of you, Tia, when I, when I, when I was reading about this. Um, there, is, there is a sub <laughs> well, there's one of the species of as Wong, it's called the, the Manan, Mananangal. Okay, the Mananangal is is a, a, another woman um, who is again normal normal wife or whatever, but at nighttime when she's ready to feed, um, she she bisects herself so she cuts herself and she doesn't cut herself but she separates from her lower body. Okay, mm-hmm. she hides her legs somewhere, and her arms grow into wings and she flies around with her intestines hanging out. What that's Awesome! That's crazy. Yeah. And this, okay. this is—you like were a, like Tia. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, I was like, oh yeah, dude, she's gonna uh, a, a, a witch who, who takes her lower body and takes it, flies away with bat wings, uh, looking to feed. No, I, I, was, I think oh, that's—I yeah, think that. that's really cool. But how you set that up was like, oh, I totally thought you're this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, but that's cool. These aren't Tia's real legs. I'm flattered. Thank you. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Um, so she, so she, uh, she, she flies around looking for people to eat up, uh, eat from. So uh, what the story is is that um, she'll fly to fly to a house and she'll um, land on her roof or fly next to her window or whatever, and then her long, 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 thin, tiny, skinny tongue will come out, and it'll go, it'll go through the window or through a hole in your, in your ceiling or something like that and it'll go in and it'll it'll um attach itself uh sometimes it'll go in it basically goes into any orifice it'll go up your nose it'll go into your mouth it'll go into your belly button um but it'll basically go inside of you and start to suck out you know what it wants to eat it'll go for your liver it'll go for your baby whatever damn so when when uh so as you're sleeping this, this thing is doing it working its magic on you and um and, and getting, getting, you know, getting it's what it wants from you through this tiny, thin tongue. Um, most of the demons and whatnot that I've read about had similar tongues where they're, they're coming at you and they're attaching themselves to you and sucking out whatever they want to get. Um, so if you, if you were to, to try and kill this, um, sunlight kills it, kind of like got the vampire powers, um, mm-hmm. sunlight will kill it. So it has to fly back to its legs and, and connect itself again uh, to become whole and to, to keep to keep living. So if you're so. hunting an Aswang, you you need to find its legs, all right. And when you find its legs, you douse it with either salt or garlic or holy water or all the typical things that burn a demon. Um, and it, by destroying its legs, it can no longer connect to its lower body, and it will die when the sun, when the sun comes up. I love how specific all so, those are. Yeah. So as you guys can tell, there's a lot of um, similarities in, in, in monsters of folklore uh, right. that have you know a lot of things in common. 
oh, how yeah. they build or how they, how they feed or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so I thought that was, that was pretty creepy. Obviously, this that thing flying through the sky um, to, to feed on you while you're sleeping um, would explain a lot of traditions that Filipinos have. And one of those traditions is sleeping with the children. Um, to this day, that is a huge, huge thing in the Filipino community is to sleep with your children in the bed with you. And a lot of parents do that to protect their kids from as well. Wow. Right. Yeah. So wow. this is something that does happen in my house as well. My, my wife does sleep, uh, does sleep with her child. Uh, it's not something that I'm particularly thrilled with, but um, <laughs> doing research on the story kind of made me realize where this deep-rooted um, need to do this comes from, and it's basically like a protection thing. That, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Filipinos let their kids sleep in bed with them until they're 13 or 14 years old, which is completely absurd to me, but uh, it happens, and it's not a big deal, and a lot of families do that to this day. Mm-hmm. So you have a tradition that's been going on for three, four hundred years, uh, um, basically put in place because of "quote unquote" the boogeyman, and uh, and to this day is still um, uh, causing these uh, traditions. That's that's good. Um, so yeah, so again, other monsters that, that are out there. There's like you know, uh, there's fairies, there's little gremlins inside your house, there's the old witch, there's. Uh, like like tree tree giants that smoke pipes in the trees. Mm-hmm. So there's wait, how do we become one of those different characters? How do I how What's do I that? become a tree giant and smoke pipe uh, smoke a pipe in the trees? That sounds like a great life. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they don't really do very much. They're, they said that basically they're there to scare small children. Um, I'm down. Devices, but I heard <laughs> that you protect yourself when you're walking through the woods by wearing your shirt. Inside out. Mm. Uh, so specific. I, that's yeah. Awesome. yeah. I'm, I'm, um, smoking so a pipe and that's sitting that's in that's trees that's and scaring that's small children. Like, I'm sold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, like the game, they like to play cards and stuff like that. It basically sounds like your drunk uncle will hang down the woods. You know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, so that's one. And, uh, again, uh, uh, you say as one to people from especially from the philippines they know exactly what you're talking about and i think even to this day um you know you have these these kind of shamans and witch doctors in smaller towns that you know are in villages that people can't afford modern health care you know they don't they the the philippines is a third world country you have very very rich and you have very poor yeah and i would think that the very poor are probably still very rooted in these traditions uh that they're still that they still believe in a lot of these these folk uh, folk tales and whatnot, mm-hmm. and because of that, they, these traditions are not going away anytime soon. And I think they'll be there for for a long time to come um, uh, for these for these monsters. Nice, that's that's cool. Awesome. So there you go, the Mananangal and the Aswang of the Philippines. That yeah, that I I loved how detailed everything was. With, yeah. Like, how to become one? How to fight one? Like. I don't know. Like, I guess mo- most monster things seem to be like way more vague. Pretty vague. Or like you know, or like you get so many different instructions from different types of people. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, you're supposed to do that. Like, I kind of like how they were like, no, do exactly this. They're very you specific know? Like, yeah. in their in their beliefs. <laughs> like that's that's kind of cool. I would, uh, I would appreciate that. And it like, almost you makes know. you think that they're onto something there. You know, you know with what I mean? Yeah, it seems, specific yeah, it is. It seems especially like yeah, the the roots of it yeah. too. You know, but also yeah, you, you know, who knew? Who knows? I, yeah. 
It's folklore. Um. Yeah, very interesting stuff. It's folklore. That's a t-shirt. It's folklore. <laughs> hey, uh, it's just folklore. That's the it's China uh, That's probably the title of this episode. Nice, nice. It's, it's folklore. folklore. <laughs> yeah, that's a real. <laughs> that's a good eye, one. That's an if eye grabber. If job that was awesome yeah thank you yeah that's i had never heard of that at all uh it kind of remind me i have this book from uh it's a this chinese story and there are these like illustrations of these like bats in it um it's called it's called the moon lady but like it's like when you're talking about the winged i have it right here right here uh when you're talking about the winged characters uh like with the intestines hanging out, I just remembered like these bats from this book that were like absolutely terrifying. I'll have to send you a picture of it uh, that yeah. kind of like reminded me of that. I mean, even though, I mean, oh, this yeah, this story is Chinese and that's very uh, wizard of yeah, uh, but yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, when I uh, was watching the videos of it, uh, the woman, the American that was talking about it was saying that she uh, particularly enjoyed uh, the Mananangal because it was one of the only, uh, you know, uh, fictional character or whatever, or, or, or whatever we're using, whatever term we're using for it. Um, but it was the only one that actually like bisected itself, um, that like, you know, separated from itself and, and, and would go on these, these night feedings. So she thought that was pretty neat. And I, I thought it was very interesting as well, because I, I can't think of another monster or character that that does something like that where it, you know it it splits itself in half and hides hides its lower body you know? yeah that's that's terrifying um 
That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the one I want to see the most now, mm. I think, is just, yeah, a bisected monster. Do like you, you want to see that? I like, mean, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see any of this. I don't know. Like, <laughs> if I had to, like, spin a wheel and pick yeah. a monster, like, I, I would hope to see one that, <laughs> that puts its legs away to go freak people. You know what I mean? Like, mm. <laughs> hold on. I feel like that's, <laughs> I gotta like, stash my legs real quick. Then like, I'm gonna grow wings. From where? Yeah, that's. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the one I want to see. I don't want to be like, yeah, I saw this sort of ghost. And yeah, it, it well, went, it went yeah. invisible. Uh, I'm afraid of spiders. Uh, so I'm good on all that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that was. What do you guys got? Um, Pat's gonna. I, I kind of. I really kind of want to go last because there's, uh, a element of truth in mine um that i kind of want to talk about um okay that's cool then. okay your head's not actually on a popsicle stick just letting you know we were just kidding uh but now i feel like we need to do that for next time that, yeah i agree um um so yeah i'm gonna go next i'm gonna talk to you guys about uh el cucuy and la llorona um, my Spanish is really terrible not these the, days. Not the morning Mexican radio DJ, right? Uh, no, yes, specifically the DJ. Yes, he he's <laughs> he is known of the boogeyman of Spanish music. Um, well, yeah, because that's basically Wait. what El Cucuy is. Is that's my wine? Oh, I oh, keep okay. grabbing your wine. Sorry, yeah. Um, is that what he really goes? Is that um, what he really goes by? The boogeyman of no, there's El Cucuy. The yeah, he's a Spanish DJ, and then there's another El Cucuy um, that's also he's a Spanish singer. Um, but no, it's neither of those two. Um, uh, El Cucuy is a story that I actually heard originally when I was really young, and it was told to me by a storyteller named Joe Hayes and well, because you grew up in new mexico yeah yeah exactly yeah um and uh joe hayes was uh he definitely in, was involved in the american southwest folklore um which pulls from a lot of different areas we'll we'll definitely get into that a lot um but i kind of wanted to talk to you about joe hayes because he's he, it's just due uh, I, this guy literally taught me so many different stories and he was an amazing storyteller because he would teach everything. These are all like, you know, different folklores from different areas that he would kind of basically make it easier for kids to understand. And I think that's important, you know, to understand different mythologies and different stories and stuff like that. But also because this was uh, specifically in New Mexico, he would... Um, he would do it bilingually. So he would, he would say the story and half of it, he would say like in Spanish before he said it in English. Um, but he was such a great storyteller. You kind of didn't even really realize that he was doing that. You were just you know? caught you were, up in the you story. You were just caught up in the story. He was just so good at saying it and he was so good at talking to kids. Um, and that, yeah, it was kind of so like with, without dumbing it down, you know, at all. But he definitely taught me, like helped me learn Spanish. And I would, if I, you know was ever to teach a kid Spanish, I would start him with Joe Hayes, you know, especially in the storytelling arena. Um, he, 
he would put, uh, like I said, he would put the Spanish words phrase, uh, the Spanish words first, and usually that came into his titles. Some of his famous books were Mariposa, which means butterfly, um, A Heart for, Full of Turquoise, uh, The Day It Snowed Tortillas, Tortillas, uh, also another Spanish word I learned. Um, I'm just <laughs> uh, La Llorona, which means the weeping woman, uh, Juan Camison, uh, which was about a guy that didn't have any pants on. That was a really weird story. Now I'm thinking about it. Um, Joe Hayes. We got to talk about that one. Uh, <laughs> um, and then uh, El Cucuy, which uh, basically means uh, the boogeyman. Um, El Cucuy translates um, specifically, it basically, the cocoa. Uh, cuca, coca, cuca, cucu, cucuy. Um, and it's basically, yeah, the fear monster equivalent of the boogeyman itself, or of what we know as the boogeyman. But like the cocoa, like, like the plant? Um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll definitely, okay. we'll get into that later. Okay. Um, so he's, um... You better. <laughs> Don't <laughs> so make this, promises. this story was, um, like Jameson was saying earlier, is, uh, is found in many Latin countries and is said to have originated in Portugal. Or Galaxia, which is uh, an autonomous autonomous community in Spain, um, where apparently some horror stories come from Spain. Um, El Cucuy itself is a child-eating, kidnapping, feet-scratching monster. Um, <laughs> feet scratching. <laughs> yes, the, the, yes. There are there are specific stories of because some some people were told about El Cucuy um, in in a way that he would come and scratch your feet. Night, oh, if he doesn't scratch his own good. feet. That's hilarious, right? <laughs> yeah. No, like, yeah, if you weren't good, he would come and scratch your feet, you know? Yeah. And then he might take you away. So when you were asleep at night, your parents would come in and scratch your feet and then be like, look, fucking El Kukui came after you, you know? like, Or maybe it was El Kukui. Um, we're not here to make that decision. Um, but yes, uh, El Kukui is described as several different things, like the Boogeyman. Is you know, there's bear El Kukuis, there's weird pig-faced El Kukuis, there's flying El Kukuis. Uh, there's El Kukuis usually on the rooftops, apparently. Um, so if you are in the basement doing disobedient things, you're you're in the clear. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the Kuko is the male El Kukui. The Kuka is the female. Um, the Kuk. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, Tia just pointed at herself. Um, the coca is a female dragon, which comes from Portugal. Um, and this was in a sort of weird medieval... Like, they still do this today. It's kind of celebration that they hold. Where it's this weird, like, medieval tournament party type thing. Um, where coca, the female dragon, defeats uh, St. George um, by scaring... The whore, basically, he fights St. George. It's this weird, like, phantasmic thing that they do. Um, and if the coca, the female dragon, scares the horse that St. George is on, then there will be a bad year for crops. Um, so it's like it's like their equivalent of our, uh, what is it, uh, the Groundhog's Day? Groundhog's yeah, Day. exactly. Yeah, it's like instead of six more weeks of winter, yeah. If the groundhog um, scratch your feet at night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, this is like one of the oldest um, types of kukuis, I guess, the coca. Um, and the original story was this dragon would come from the sea uh, devouring young women until the uh, until men were able to stop it. Men, 
saving the day. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people said that um, there was, you know, a lot of different origins supposedly to this, but um, some people believe it was actually a way of describing the pirate raids that would happen to some of these villages, and they would come in on ships that looked like dragons, uh, which was a, a thing in the Viking era, you know, that would, uh, I guess, be ending right. before that time. Um, the word cocoa was actually derived from, you know, coconut. And they, they actually, the reason they used that specifically for El Kukui was because the coconut looked like a head with the three holes on the top of it. Mm. Um, was, it was supposed to be, it's best represented in Portugal as an iron panel with holes in it and a light inside to represent a face. This is also done using a vegetable for a lantern, like the pumpkin. The jack, oh, the jack-o'-lantern. Oh, okay. That was this. That was the first uh, use of a jack-o'-lantern, um, and they. It's used in tons and tons of different ways. Back in medieval times, they would use it as a way of representing when they used to put spikes on heads or uh, spikes on heads, heads on spikes, um, and they would put that around the castle to scare people off. So this was like kind of a. Sometimes people would use it to scare people off. Through time, it then became a way of having protective uh, powers and healing powers, or even prophetic, because some people believe that um, El Cucuy or the Coco or these heads were dead people, but they were meant, they were, you know, from the spirit realm and they were there to kind of, um, you know, protect people, I guess. Um, so, I, like I said, I originally heard about uh, El Cucuy from a man named Joe Hayes. Um, and he brought it about as a man that had three daughters and no wife and two of them, two of the daughters, uh, there was, uh, two older daughters and one younger daughter. She was a little bit, uh, definitely a lot younger than the two older and she was bullied a lot and she, the two older daughters were trying to make more work for the younger daughter and, the younger daughter wanted to make, you know, life easier for the father that only had, you know, didn't have a wife to take care of the kids or whatever. Um, and so the father notices this. And one day he says, you know, I'm going to call Kukui and he's going to, you know, come take you away. And they're like, no, El Kukui doesn't exist, yada, yada, yada. And so they, you know, she gets in, you know, does too much. And then he goes outside and he's like, El Kukui. You know, like that's apparently how it happened. Exactly like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was kind of like that. If you listen to the story, um, and so El Kukui comes down from the mountains because that's where evil things live, um, and takes the, them away. Of course, in Joe Hayes' story, because this is for kids, like the you know El Kukui hears everything and he knows that his her father is missing them now. So he you know somehow they return or whatever. Um, but El Kukui was meant to feed on only disobedient kids. And like I said, he would look from the rooftops and he was a shape-shifting monster, but they mostly said that he would be a shadow if he was in observation mode. So if he was watching you, he was a shadow. Um, one of the earliest references to El Kukui um, uh, that they had, not one of the early, I guess, er early reference uh would be one of these po the a poem that was written in the 17th century uh the auto de los desposorios de la verga uh it goes and i'm sorry for the spanish uh duermerte niño duermerte ya 
que, ven, que viene el coco y te comerá. Which means sleep, child, sleep now, else Coco comes and will eat you. Um, they got right to the point. We got right to the point with that. <laughs> um, so uh, pre-Roman Iberia used to transmit their history to the younger generations uh, using song. And the mothers would sing of the military feats to incite children into battle. And that was actually the role of mothers was to remember and teach the men about the war feats of their fathers uh, because history was actually recorded in verse uh, frequently. Um, and so that's how a lot of people believe that some people believe that El Kukui was a way not only to keep kids in line, but to put kids into battle to be like, you know, you weren't obedient today in training. So El Kukui is going to take you away. Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, um, El Kukui, that's the, the basic history of that. Um, it's had a lot of different reoccurrences, I guess, if we were to connect this into Hollywood of any kind. Um, the one time I could connect it was when it was, a, a haunted maze at Halloween Horror Nights, and I actually got to be El Kukui, uh, which was really cool because... Um, when you're a scare actor, you're constantly looking for the best scare, you know, and like, how can I possibly scare this person? But that was the easiest because they were mostly adults, mostly adults, like 30 and older came in actually like 40 and older. Usually they came into that already freaked out well, already. They had, they had this deep rooted. Yeah. They grew fear. up with this boogeyman fear and, you know, and yeah. it's, and it's now real to them. And some of that maze, I mean, that maze was actually really good. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty scary maze, you know, and some of the prosthetics in that were really cool, but some, yeah, some of those, I felt like they were going to have a heart attack going through there. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, also, it was voiced by Danny Trejo, so I got to listen to him do a monologue like every 10 minutes. Wait, do it. Do uh, the monologue. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't remember, even remember what he said. I just remember he said something about El Cucuy being in your nightmares. Uh, but that was all I could remember. <laughs> it was that and then like really loud noises happening like every five seconds. Uh, so yeah, that was El Cucuy. Um Kind of going back into what Jameson was saying, these, these are all, yeah, boogeymen. They, they were made to kind of make you be obedient, um, which will definitely bring us right into La Llorona. Uh, La Llorona was actually the first story I heard, um, and it wasn't from um, Joe Hayes. That was, you know, from, from a friend. Um, when I was uh, young growing up, there was a big not a big problem, but there was a uh, ditches in uh, there were ditches in uh, Albuquerque. So, cause it, you know, it was desert, but when it did flood, it would, you know, the desert didn't soak up any of the water. So it did, you know, when it rained, it would flood. Um, so if you were hanging out in the ditch, all of a sudden there would be tons of water and you, you know, might drown. Um, so, <laughs> you, because you're hanging out in a ditch. Yeah, there wasn't much to do in Albuquerque. Not gonna lie. Sorry, <laughs> Albuquerque. And no, I was joking. I'm, I'm sure there's things to do. We were just, you know, probably just being bad kids. Um, but 
But yeah, so one of the ways of saying to get away from the ditches and in playing in the river and stuff was actually <laughs> to say that La Llorona is in is in the ditch and she'll she's gonna come get you if you're not if you don't you know if you're not away from running away from the ditch. Um, but the story of La Llorona is um, one that's super super deep rooted, uh, just like El Cucuy. Um The first first time or basically we'll 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 go over the act the, the legend uh it's based on a, a woman apparently named maria who marries a rich ranchero and they have two children um she sees the husband with another woman she's super upset about it she drowns the children in the river and immediately regrets it she tries to save them obviously you know they're already dead she drowns herself but she's not allowed to enter the afterlife without her children. So some people go with this story because they see her wandering and wailing and crying and looking for uh, her children and or looking for any children to take with her so she can make it to the afterlife. So that's like their way of uh, getting on, I guess. Or get, getting on, getting in. Heaven? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jumping on the he heaven bandwagon? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, like I said, it's uh, super deep-rooted. Um, it kind of ties in with your story, Jameson, as like the Spanish... Um, what is it? Would it be Inquisition? No, it's, it's, this is earlier than that. Uh, but the whole Spanish influence... Yeah, conquest. Conquest, there you go. Um, it, a lot of people also believe that the story might have originated with the, the La Malinche, which was a woman who was Nahua, which was, um, uh, indigenous American. So she was, you know, I get, you know, what would be Aztec or something, you know, like she was before anybody got here, she was there, you know, and she was when Spain, Spain came over, she was taken in and, you know, she was, became, uh, an interpreter. Uh, she was a slave at first. Uh, she was an advisor and then she actually got pregnant by Hernan Cortez and she gave birth to the very first, uh, mestizo, which was the first person to be bred with European and indigenous American you know, so they she was kind of looked at by the indigenous people as a traitor. You know, because here these people were coming and raping and enslaving all these other, you know, all of your family and friends and stuff. And you're giving birth to, like, the new generation of people that will be doing this for a long time. Um, which I saw a lot in your story of that passing along in Jameson's story. Um they also see a lot of uh, connections with La Llorona with uh, uh, Kiwakotl, uh, which I remember you bringing up in a previous episode, Jameson. I, think, I did, I th yeah, I remember that. I think Kiwakotl. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I, I felt like I don't recall that, that one. Okay. Um, but anyways, that's like the Aztec... Um, La Llorona, basically, um, with a face so black and filthy that it came from hell. 
Um, this also they also believe this Layonon is like a Eve and Lilith, which would be like a Hebrew mythology. Um, but basically, a a woman that is betrayed, and uh, there's a few other uh, versions of it. Um, in Venezuela, La Llorona is about a woman that had to raise a child alone, and the f- because of uh, after the father died in war, and so she eventually just kills the child in frustration of having to raise it herself. The spirit goes wandering around now kidnapping and killing other children and people put up wooden crosses above their doors to scare it and that's uh just in venezuela um sorry you said the similar thing for the mexican she does the same thing where she's just looking for people's kids like to take with her um for venezuela yeah exactly yeah but there's kind of no no no. for 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 mexico the the original story that you were telling you're saying that Um, it, it was the Spanish people that brought it over, um, to, to America. And, okay. So when they brought it over, what was, what was it that she, cause you said that she was trying to cross over. She never kids to cross over. So she was trying to take other people's kids. That's what the, that's how this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. From before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she, that was the, the story is that, yeah, she, she didn't, she needed to have, two children to go to the afterlife, but because she didn't, she wasn't allowed. So that was the story is that she would reach out grabbing for them. And that was another thing was that when I first heard the La Llorona story, when she would reach out to grab you, some people said that she would actually get, they would get grabbed. And because she, when she killed her children, you know, there's a lot of different stories. She had bloody fingers apparently. So people would say they, or have shirts. I swear to God, people would say they have shirts that had bloody fingerprints on them, you know, like on, on tear were attacking like, them. no, like just bloody fingerprints on the shoulders, you know, it was never a tear oh. or anything, you know, it was just like right on the shoulders. And like in my head, I'm thinking I, maybe somebody like a friend actually showed me that, but I remember thinking like, that's crazy, you know, but you know, who knows, you know, um, it's a it was mentioned in a 19th century poem. It was also mentioned again in 1917 in a play called Cor- uh, in a play where uh, Cortez is the focus. It's a very anti-Spanish movement. Uh, in 1959, it was also a one act uh, that was just called La Llorona, and all, hmm. I mean all of these are very much the stories that they use are very much based in the anti-Spanish movement. Uh, they, they're, yeah, there's a, there's a lot where they're basically calling, uh, La Llorona is the, the traitor. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Cause, uh, when, when I, when I first heard it, it was really to just get me to not play it, play around ditches. <laughs> you know, so it's really it's really strange, <laughs> but La Llorona like, needs to drown two children. So you know, yeah, it was you know, but it, it was strange, like thinking about how like uh, history being written in verse and how you know we talk about you know things like you know dragons and stuff and all these other things you know and um pe- you know people using it just to keep kids in line and stuff, but it's also it's weird that we have such an imagination to, to do these, to, to bring these things out. Like who, who was the first person that was like, Oh, like, 
if we just make this crazy monster up, you know, maybe they'll the kids show, will you, obey. You, know, you know what I mean? Like if we say this guy in the North Pole, uh, <laughs> we'll give you a present and this other guy will put you in this sack. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot uh, of cautionary tale too. You know, they're just trying to, you know, scare people into being safe and, and aware of certain situations. Obviously some stories get blown out of proportion. Like, you know, it's, they saw an eclipse. It's crazy how uh, how quick belief can happen when, you know, because like like I said, like I in my head, I feel like I remember somebody showing me a t a white t shirt with bloody fingerprints on it because some people were just so dead set on the fact that it happened, you mm-hmm. know, or the or you know, and it was like were people just that well scared, you know, or was this something that would happen? Because you know there was all like. She would, you know, wail, and people would say they would hear her crying, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's a trip, yeah. Sure, and I mean, there's plenty of things that can happen, and that that you would think that if you're, t- if, you know, I, I always think of the Blair Witch Trials, but like that's what that movie was about. Is that like, you know, they they tell you all these stories, and then you hear the stuff, it's just like it freaks you out, and it's like, I, you know, it's definitely you hear stuff, and your imagination goes immediately to the story that you've been told your entire life, it's got to be this thing. And, you know, when you find out it's like a freaking frog or something, you know, mm, a yeah. weird cricket or yeah. some kind of bug that makes this super freaky noise and it only comes around, like, you know, like cicadas are only like once every 12 years. Yeah. The first, you know, settlers that came here, they never heard that sound for, that sound for like eight years, all of a sudden there's this sound. What the yeah. fuck is that? You right, know? yeah, exactly. So easily people can get, you know, if you're told these stories for hundreds and hundreds of years, it's ingrained in your society. You totally buy into it. There's whole villages I'm yeah. sure that are completely, completely still doing it to this day. Are scared stiff of that stuff, you know, and they really truly think it because it's like you said, it's ingrained. It doesn't matter how much proof there is, you know. Yeah. You're gonna believe it. Right. Yeah. I guess. I yeah. guess that's my turn now for my story. Yay. Um, that was cool, dude. That was cool. Thanks for the for the info on those characters. I didn't really yeah. know much about them. Yeah, yeah I was, was kind of hoping to find, like, some, I don't know, some, like, cool documentary with some new, true historical evidence. But I really think it was, yeah, it's it's, it's folklore. It's, it's you know, folklore. It's, not, it's, it's, it's meant to be changed and adapted. And, you know, it's, I don't know, at least it's not religion. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> or I mean, it is. It really is. I guess it is. Yeah. Did you just text us? You texted us. Oh, okay. That's that's you. 
Um, is that my turn? Wait, Jameson, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I, okay. Uh, no, my my I was screen. Up, uh, I was looking up different things to uh, to go with your story to kind of try and get in the mood. So uh, I found those two photos there. <sighs> I'll have to look at well, them later because all of our phones are going right now. So are you in the mood now? That's fine. I just sent you two pictures of El Capoy. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. <laughs> Um, you're going to want to start oh, in. Oh, by the way, I meant to say, I wanted to tell you real quick. Uh, you were talking about watching the uh, Halloween Horror Nights. And when I went to one of the mazes, um, they had La Llorona eating somebody. And oh, I don't yeah. That and that was really cool. That's dope. That was, sorry to burst your bubble, but it was like a big head eating a person. Like in a yeah. laying down. Sorry to burst your bubble, but that's a scene from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors, and that was a reused prop that they redressed from... Oh, I know which one you're talking about. ...Freddy yeah. Krueger to awesome. look like y La Llorona. That's brilliant. Well, it was a really cool prop. I thought it looked good. Open yeah. It's funny because I do remember that from, from that episode. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I did Halloween Horror Nights so many years. Like, I saw... They reused so many props, yeah. The I mean, we, American Werewolf... Too. In in London, wolves be used for the Wolfman maze and the trees from the E.T. attraction be used for the Friday the 13th mazes and stuff like that. So I remember seeing hey, the Incredible re -re Hulk. Recycle. The Incredible Hulk. Pat was working in the clown's maze and they had redressed a statue of the Incredible Hulk to look like a big clown. <laughs> that, that, that was awesome. Um, but no, that's that was oh. a really cool uh, trick, actually. Uh, yeah, La Llorona, the maze, was probably one of the creepiest ones that they had there. So I think Roxana told me to do this one. She was like, oh, you should do skin the Skinwalkers. And I was like, yeah, uh-huh, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I was like, yeah, cool. But I had no clue really what she was talking about. I was like... Yeah, skinwalkers. I know what that is. Uh, so I didn't, but I am so glad that I did this one. Uh, however, uh, okay, anyways, before I get started, I got most of my stuff from Wikipedia, but the majority of my interview was from, or the majority of my information was from an interview uh, from K-Talk, 3.60 a.m. Utah, with Jack Stockwell, uh, with an interview with George Knapp. His name is going to come up a little bit later. Uh, and it was on a YouTube channel. Uh, the YouTuber was named Jake Powell, who posted this. So most of my information was from George Knapp uh, and his interview with Jack Stockwell for K-Talk, 3.60 a.m. Utah. Um, so I didn't know what the skinwalkers were. Uh, I had learned about, uh, this, I knew about what I'm going to get into a little bit later. Uh, okay. Let me just talk. <laughs> um, okay. So skinwalkers, uh, in Navajo culture, a skinwalker or 
because I don't speak Navajo, and I'm so sorry if I, and I say this every time, uh, if I butcher this, but the yi na, yi, yi na dual shi, which translates to by means of it, it goes on all fours, or as known by the common, let's just say, white person or American or colonizer, uh, is known as the skinwalker, uh, is a harmful witch or shaman who has the ability to turn into possess or disguise themselves as an animal. The term is never used for a healer. So usually it's a um, shaman or a witch or someone who's very powerful who has some sort of revenge they are trying to uh, put onto someone. It's not a healer. It's not someone who is a force of good. It's a force of bad. Uh, now, the legend of the skinwalker is not very, uh, very understood outside of the Navajo culture. Uh, the Navajo, as well as many indigenous people, are very protective of their culture and their beliefs. So the legend of the skinwalker is not very well understood because the Navajo is very protective of their beliefs. Uh, the Navajo people are very reluctant to reveal uh, skinwalker lore to non-Navajo or discuss it at all among those who, do, who they do not trust. Stories usually include a life or death struggle, uh, a victory of some sort, or a skinwalker approaching the Hogan, or um, like the area of the tribe or the huts, uh, and being scared off. Um, similar stories have been told among other um, indigenous tribes, which I'll get into in a little bit. So some of the most, some of the most detailed stories uh, and most of the stories come from a certain area of Utah known as Skinwalker Ranch. So Skinwalker Ranch or Sherman Ranch uh, is uh, 512 acres southeast of Ballard, Utah. This is an area that for many years was occupied by the Ute Indians. Uh, so the Ute take their lore very seriously. Uh, they believe that it is a curse from the Navajo. The Ute and the Navajo ha battled back and forth for land for many years. There is rumors that the Ute were enslaved by the Navajo for some time, but there isn't much evidence that that actually happened. Um, so, uh, most of my information comes from a book by George Knapp, uh, and his interview, the, the book is called, uh, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, Science Conf Confronts the Unexplained at the Remote Ranch in Utah. So, this area has a thick brush and a small river, uh, and the ranch is known as the path of the skinwalker. So this is where the Ute Indians would say, this is where the skinwalker walks his path. This is where we see them and have encounters with them. So 
as I get into the story, some of the names are, well, the name of the family that owned this ranch has been changed. I'm going to refer to them as a what they have been referred to in the book out of um, respect for their privacy. However, if you do minimal searches, you can find the real name of the families. But according to... Can George... I take a guess of the name? Is it Luke Skinwalker? <laughs> no. Um, okay. okay. Uh, personally, I thought Skinwalker Ranch sounded like Hal Roach's Rapey Ranch that he had that we talked about. But... Oh, man. That would have been a more accurate description of his ranch. <laughs> but I didn't yeah. want to go there, but thanks, guys, for going there. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Please edit that out of the final broadcast. Um, Get that Patreon. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, oh, what am I talking about? An interview with George Knapp. Okay. So sorry. I have a lot of notes here and they're like ramblings that are all been scribbled down on eight pages here in front of me. So, uh, in the, okay. So, uh, at least half of the residents of the area have seen strange objects in the sky. Local police have actually stopped taking reports of UFOs. There has been so many of them. Uh, most of the reports started happening in the 1950s, which to me is just like, well, that's when people had phones in their house. You know, there was probably many, many more things that happened prior to this. Uh, whole schools would th see things in, in the sky, uh, hovering in the sky in broad daylight. Uh, between the 60s and 70s, most of the UFO sightings came from this area in the whole world. Hmm. Uh, in 1994, the property was uh, had been vacant for many years, and it was purchased by a family that I'm going to refer to as Gorman. Uh, his wife, his children. Gorman was a game hunter. He had college degrees. He was... Uh, had advanced training in animal husbandry. Uh, he was an expert in artificial insemination and planned to raise hybrid high-end stock. Uh, his herd ranged from 60 to 80 head. He had very expensive heifers. Uh, he had four 2,000-pound show-class bulls, and uh, him and his family had put their life savings into this ranch. So he... He's a smart guy, and he knows what he's doing with his livestock. So uh, he purchases this ranch, and one of the first things that the family noticed is that all of the outside doors had multiple bolts on them and locks up the side of the doors. Even the kitchen cabinets had bolts on them. At either end of the house, there were iron stakes up, uh, in the ground with heavy chains that had been installed and they had just assumed that there were guard dogs here on big chains they didn't really know why there might be guard dogs uh it i mean it definitely raised some suspicions but they weren't sure what this was about so um one day after the gormans had moved all their furniture onto the property and they sp spotted an extremely large wolf out in the pastures. The wolf approached the house 
Uh, and it sidled up to the family like it was acting like the family pet. So it, it became very friendly with them. Uh, it had been raining and the family remembers that the wolf smelled like a wet dog as they pet it. Uh, after a bit, the wolf walked over to the corral and grabbed a calf by its snout, trying to pull it through the bars. So Gorman and his father, who happened to be there, began to beat the wolf with a stick. Uh, Gorman grabs his three, 357 Magnum from his truck and shoots the wolf point blank with no effect. So he shoots again and the wolf releases the fact the releases the calf but still it is not affected by the bullet so he shoots two more times and the animal backs off again but there's no blood so he tries to shoot again with his hunting rifle and on the fifth shot it causes a chunk of hair and flesh to fly off the wolf on the sixth shot the wolf trots across the field uh into the thicket uh they try to track the wolf for a mile but the tracks suddenly end as if the wolf had vanished so they return to inspect the flesh and they inspect it and realize that it smelled like rotting meat so the neighbors they talk to them and they say that they've never seen a large wolf but a few weeks later mrs gorman sees a wolf so huge that the back is parallel with the window of her car as it stood next to the car. Uh, the wolf was accompanied by a dog-like animal, what she says. She had never seen it before or since in any animal books. Uh, and for the next two years, they see various strange animals throughout the ranch. Uh, many weird things happen to the family. Uh, one particular thing is why I think there were bolts on the kitchen cabinets. Mrs. Gorman one day was putting away her groceries and she leaves for like five minutes and comes back and all the groceries are back in the bag. She had like put them all away in the cabinets and they're all back in the bag. Uh, so, ooh. I'll get into that story later. There's, um, I should also warn people, this gets really graphic. There's a lot of cattle mutilation, which is very typical in uh, UFOs and aliens, I guess. Um, if that's what you want to say that this is. So, um, one day, the Gormans are driving into their ranch and... They see something attacking one of their horses uh, that's low, low to the ground and heavily muscled, about 200 pounds with curly red hair and a big bushy tail, like a heavily muscled hyena is what they describe it as. Uh, it's clawing at one of their horses, playing with it. When Gorman gets about 40 feet away, the animal completely vanishes. And they check the horse and they see that it is covered in claw marks. Uh, the wife of the deputy sheriff of the area reports seeing a similar animal some weeks later on their property. Uh, later, they encounter something else pretty strange. Uh, they see a large blurry something moving through the trees. Um, so they had a visitor at this time on the ranch. 
uh, who came to try to make contact with these otherworldly creatures. Um, once this ranch got popularity, people were coming to like, oh, I can help you out. I'm going to come and, you know, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to make contact with these other beings and whatnot. And that's what this visitor is trying to do at this time. So their visitor was meditating in the field at this time and they see this blurry creature uh, moving fast amongst the trees about a hundred yards uh, every few seconds. Uh, and it reaches the visitor and lets out a loud roar. Uh, so uh, they describe it as nearly invisible, re representing the camouflage being from The Predator. I don't know if you know that movie. No, that's The Predator. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, it's The Predator. <laughs> so that's what they describe it as. Uh, the, their visitor was so frightened that he grabs onto Gorman uh, with his eyes closed and leaves and never returns. Um, they see exotic, multiple, multicolored birds that are not native to the land. Uh, they see things that look like Bigfoot. Uh, and a lot of the times when they see or have these like weird experiences or soon after, they're overwhelmed by these musky odors. Uh, in the pastures, uh... Did unexplained light up? Oh, and the pastures would unexplainably light up at night like a football field. Uh, shafts of light in the sky, some emanating from the ground up to the sky. And they would hear what sounded like machinery underground. Disembodied voices in uh, an unintelligible language coming from 20 feet above their head, but nothing is there. Uh, the dogs... Uh, also uh, would hear the voices and they would uh, growl and take off in a panic. Uh, one time when checking on... This is 1994, the Gormans move in uh, to, to okay. this... So this is like the mid-90s or something? Yeah. All happening? The previous owners had owned this from the 30s till the, till the 90s. Most of the sightings happened, started happening, or most of the phone calls to the police, I should say, started happening around the 50s. Um, in my theory, that's just when people started having phones in their home to make these calls. Well, that was also around the time of Roswell, right? Well, yeah, around the time of Roswell and when, like, you know, uh, prior to that, they'd probably be like, oh, we saw some light. But then after sci-fi's kind of, in pop culture, they're like, oh, it's an alien. I need to call the police, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, when checking on his herd, Gorman notices that someone has dug up his pasture. A uh, hundred pounds of soil had been dug up. The edges of the hole had made a perfect circle like a cookie cutter. So take that as you will. Uh, in the spring of 1995, while checking on their cattle, Gorman and his nephew see something that looks like an RV or a Winnebago. So they walk up to it to see why there are people on the property. The RV moves silently away from them as they're starting to walk up to it. So they climb over 
uh, one of their fences to see it. And the craft rises up above the treetops, making no sound. They describe it to look like a refrigerator with a light on the front and a red light on the back. Baseball. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Oh, it's just barf. Uh, <laughs> uh, the family has several encounters. She describes, uh, Miss Gorman describes stealth fighters hovering over her car, uh, a cloud that hovers over the property with blinking Christmas lights inside of it, uh, which I've definitely heard before like um ufos trying to camouflage themselves with clouds uh now when i say ufo it doesn't necessarily mean alien or from another planet it just means unidentified we don't know what the government's coming up with and what they're testing out there so uh this might be from our own planet we have no idea initiating christmas drone (laughs) And yeah, well, they didn't know how else to describe it. Oh, no, no, I'm I'm agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And this also is going to sound very common. Flying saucers, cigar-shaped craft uh, that were several football fields long, floating spheres of different sizes and colors. So uh, between 1995 and 1996, there are 12 separate incidences of orange spheres that produce smaller spheres that appeared to be made of glass with a bubbling blue liquid inside. Uh, So neighbors reported uh, a large basketball in the sky, which sounds to me similar to that. Uh, On April, in April of 1996, uh, one of the orbs circles around the heads of uh, the head of one of their horses. The horse is illuminated by the blue light. When approaching the orb, the orb sped off with dexterity. And they said the orb had a psychological effect. Uh, one of the blue orbs, uh, one of these blue orbs convinces them to eventually leave, which uh, is a story I'll get into in a little bit. So remember the blue orbs. When I get there. Um, God, there's so much here. (laughs) Okay, this story I'm going to talk about real quick before I get into uh, the blue orb story. Uh, So they had a few uh, cattle mutilations um, uh, where his cows appeared to be cut with pinking shears. Uh, it was not done by coyotes or mountain lions because there was no blood ever found at the scene. Uh, his favorite horse had its legs slashed. So the dogs in the in on the property begin to be paranoid. Uh, six of the family cats disappear in one night. Uh, the cattle disappear from a snow-covered field uh, they saw the footprints lead into the field. The prints suddenly stop as if uh, the cow just disappeared. Um, 14 animals in total are sliced up or vanished. Uh, 
and uh, one of the cows was found mutilated just five minutes after his son checked in on it. Uh, something had cut a hole uh, about six inches wide and about 18 inches deep into the animal's rectum with no blood on the cow or snow-covered ground. Ouch. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, one day they are tagging a cow and it's calf and they leave the cow for about 10 minutes and they hear a dog yelp. Uh, they come back and find the cow's eyes bulging, the calf nearby stripped of the flesh. Uh, so NIDS, which I'll get into in a second, NIDS stands for National Institute of discovery science they've come in at one point they come in in 1996 sorry they come in in 1995 and after this cow incident happens uh they take tissue samples of this calf that's been stripped uh and they believe that it was done by a sharp instrument like a big machete 75 pounds of meat is missing um so in order for this to happen at this time they believe and this is kind of a theory that there are these time gaps um okay i'm good on time basically that things happen quicker than they should uh, another incident that happens is uh, their four bulls are found uh, together in a trailer, which they shouldn't be able to fit in. When they open up the trailer, uh, which is locked, and they, how did these four bulls get into this trailer and lock themselves in? They open the trailer, there are cobwebs inside the trailer, which baffles me, like, how did they get in there? How are there cobwebs on the door? Oh, man, you know, that's, that's like a contact moment. Right there. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's very strange. Um, okay. So like I said earlier, uh, these orange orbs of light that have these blue liquid in them start to show up. And one incident in particular, after all of this happens, you know, honestly, it's funny because, uh, oh God, what's his name? The, the guy interviewing, as well as me, uh, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, I probably would have left by now. But also, like, this family put their life savings into this ranch. This guy is a man of science. You know, it's... I mean, he... I'm pretty sure to this day thinks it's some government conspiracy and it's not spiritual or alien in any way. But okay, anyways, so this ball of light uh, that they saw takes a special interest in their cattle and the cattle starts reacting violently, splitting the herd as if it was plowing through the herd. Uh, one of the cow cows was found dead in the field with a very crisp tight surgical hole that had been cut into one of its eyes and a strong musky odor around the carcass 
in, where's the story? So a few more cattle are mutilated. So in, in May of 1996, Gorman is outside when he sees one of these blue orbs darting around the ranch. So Gorman has had it and he lets his dog loose on this, his dogs, his two dogs loose on this orb. The dogs chase it and they jump up, snapping at the orb. Uh, the orb leads the dogs out to the pasture and into thick brush that borders the field. He hears the dogs make three terrible yelps and then silence. He calls for them and there's no response. So the next morning he goes looking for these dogs and he finds... Uh, three round spots of brown, dry, brittle vegetation. And in the middle of these spots, there are two black, greasy lumps. And he never sees his dogs again. And they, they leave soon after this. Crazy. Yeah. So at one point, the... National Institute for Discovery Science comes in. Colm Kellner and George Knapp, whose interview I got most of this information from, uh, they're the ones that wrote the book about this subject called The Search for the Skinwalker. So they do all this research, they do all these interviews, they're able to form this book. Uh, Robert Bigelow, in 1996, he purchases the property for $200,000. Now, NIDS, I believe, still owns the property. Uh, they're still trying to do research or figure out what is out there. However, they've kind of been, I mean, they've kind of been forced to stop because in the last year or so, uh, many of these sightings have come to abrupt stop. So whatever this is that had been happening before has basically figured out that they're found out and that they're being watched and they don't like it, in my opinion. Uh, and most of the stuff has come to a stop. Now, whether this is all stories made up for the tabloids or to sell a book and for them to maybe get people to stop coming to the property. They've said that, you know, oh, the sightings have stopped, you know, take it as you will, you know, whether this is true or not. But uh, I just found this terribly interesting um, and uncanny that there are all these sightings on this property where these people had have this, or the Navajo, the indigenous people have this folklore of, strange things happening. So uh, I remember reading about, I want to say either Christopher Columbus or Marco Polo talking about, you know, orbs of light coming up from the ocean. So who knows? Um, but that is the story of the Skinwalker in its uh, great graphic detail. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what what you guys think about that um yeah no, that one's creepy because that one's uh that's a big one in new mexico there's a lot of alien stories out there and skinwalkers are i a mean big thing. is it aliens is it 
Well, some people believe, uh, I think we were talking earlier about it being uh, the area of the ranch being a stargate. Oh, yeah. And, like, and it oh, being a, a wormhole where, you know, monsters or, you know, just things from other dimensions or other universes or other planets or something just enter this wormhole and get spit out, in, you, know, you know, in a different area. Which would explain why these various creatures orbs some of them are orbs of light some of them are shapeshifters some of them are blurry camel camouflage predators you know some of them have no are invisible completely to us and a lot of it sounds like they are trying to take specimens of these prized animals and well i mean when you think about it the amount of cattle that humans have is ridiculous yeah. Like we literally have changed the climate because of the amount of cattle yeah. we've put on this planet. Yeah. So aliens might be like, we got to try one of these because yeah. you guys just love this shit. You guys yeah. destroyed your own oxygen source so you could yeah. have more beef. <laughs> but I mean, also, right? Yeah. Also, that's, that's just like, theory, but. obviously, they kidnapped these four. I mean, not obviously, but in theory, you could say that they kidnapped these four you know, prize bulls, uh, you know, uh, for some time and then brought them back and put them in this trailer that had cobwebs in it, you know, like, I mean, like you said, it's probably pretty interesting to them. Like, what are, what are these cows all about? Well, it's like, I mean, that's what we thought about, you know, like with the cattle abductions and stuff stories. And when those come around, you know, you always think like, yeah, what's the point of that? But it's like the same, like when I remember dissecting a frog and being like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. I mean, I get, we got to learn about this, but like if a frog walked in here and saw this shit, yeah i don't know I mean, you know what i mean like like we're we the do ants. We, we're the frogs yeah we're the that's that's, <laughs> the, that's the worst theory when, when it comes to aliens is the yeah. ant theory is that aliens see us as so insignificant that it's like yeah it doesn't matter we're just gonna do whatever the fuck we want we got the magnifying glass you, you just mm-hmm. you walk around and hope we don't see you that's funny <laughs> yeah. but yeah so, that, that's interesting that was a good I, one I like your story, I'm trying to figure out if I was just cold or I was creeped up by your story and got under my blanket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. That was good. So what I'm, what I'm curious about is what is considered the skinwalkers? Is it just the fact that all this strange shit is going on and so they're saying that um, there's something out there that can take different forms of different things? Or like I, I didn't understand what the connection was between all these strange things and then the skin, the, the term skinwalker. Um. So the term skinwalker is from the Navajo, which was uh, adopted by the Ute tribe, which inhabits the area. Uh, and basically, they described it as something that walked on all fours. From what I could find, it's a shape shifter that takes the form of an animal uh usually like correlated with a bigfoot or a werewolf you know so when they see this big wolf on their property at first that's what they believe was the skinwalker however all of these other things came through as well you know uh which is is this part of the lore? Is this 
something else, like that's really up in the air, you know, and because the indigenous people are so secretive, they're not really uh, big on outsiders knowing their, their personal uh, history and their folklore, their stories that are private to themselves, you know, there's not much to know if what they know about these things, you know, like I, I really couldn't find much about the skinwalkers um, from the folklore, you know, like Pat would find on La Llorona or anything well, I mean, like I, that. That's you know? I, I felt the same way. I felt like I, 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 I wish I could have found something a little bit more concrete, but it's like it's folklore. You yeah, know, it's it's not it, it's it's made to not be concrete. It's the like you were saying, like uh, Jameson with the you know, like I, I was mentioning, like the, the the imagination of the fucking monsters in in Aswang, you know, are, are fucking amazing, you know. But I think that's the key. That's why the boogeyman and all that shit is so scary, is because there is no description. You're, it's mm-hmm. fear. It's whatever you're afraid of. That's what it looks like. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's what it's supposed to you know is envision you see you know because I mean when it comes to scaring kids into doing shit you know parents are gonna be like all right what are you scared yeah it's a spider if you you don't like spiders it's a huge fucking spider it hates it when you don't do your math <laughs> <laughs> don't say that that's like the exact thing I would be afraid of that's a, but that's what I'm saying a spider like, that wants I feel me like, to do math but I feel like things are you know. Uh, like I was saying in my story, like how like the mothers were told to, you know, incite these, you know, tell these kids these war battles and stories, which which I think how mythology has constantly grown into these crazy heroic battles. Like, you know, it would be much better if you knew you were going into battle fighting for Zeus himself when you heard a story just the other day. Your mom told you about how Zeus fucking battled. You know what I mean? Like if it became down to this mythology mm-hmm. where you're, where especially back then you're way more closely connected to because you literally think like, I didn't pray yesterday. That's why we didn't have crops. You know what I mean? Like that's a way deeper connection than what we have today. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be easier to believe in that shit. You know, nowadays, you know, things get dispersed and you know, we kind of understand things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Krampus exists. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, you know did you guys ever see the movie uh, Fire in the Sky? Um, oh, it no. sounds so familiar. Who was in that? Yeah, it's uh, it's a mid '90s movie uh, that has uh, I think it's D.B. Sweeney is in it and uh, Robert Patrick. Um, but it's. <sighs> You know, Sounds based, so familiar. Quote, unquote, on a true story, and uh, it, you know, it's funny because you know, as she is telling her story, I'm thinking about all the times that people ask me what my, what you know, like what what kind of horror movies scare me, and I, I think I just realized my answer would probably be alien horror. Oh, I'm terrified of aliens. Like alien horror movie. Um, yeah, so that's kind of funny. We have this window that's like right at the foot of my bed, which was where I'm sitting, and. It terrifies me that something will be outside of this window because we are like a story up. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, thinking about alien abductions like what, and stuff. What can that's, you do? That's, that's the scariest yeah. shit. What ever, can you do yeah. when you're like par- paralyzed? Yeah. Um. Anyways, I'm gonna finish this Facebook broadcast. Absolutely. 
Okay, good night, Facebook. We love you. Uh, good night. Uh, and I'll finish the podcast. Uh, actually, no. Before I need to give you your oh, yeah, assignments. Assignments for next week. That's why I wanted to finish that because, like, um, Jameson, are you good for next week, or do you Pardon? want do you want a break for next? Yeah, week? Yeah, should be good to go. By the way, you should check, you should check out that movie. It's called Fire in the Sky. By the way, so I think I know what you're talking I, about. I owned it on VHS when I lived in Albuquerque. I've seen it. It's just been fucking. Ye- like 20 years oh god it's okay i'm trying to th- uh do you remember yeah i do but i'm gonna have to i'll watch it again because i smoke a lot of things um mm-hmm. and i should be fine for uh doing next week sweet um okay well i also have roxana next week though coming on is that okay or what if you want me to take off a week that's fine um I don't know. What do you think, Pat? Um, I don't know. We'll let you know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Not, not well, no, I need to say something on the end of if this podcast. If you told her already, it's not a big deal for me. Um, yeah. Actually, could you... Can you come back the next, the following week? But I'll come, I'll text you an assignment. Uh, okay, no problem. Are you, are you sure that's not a problem? Are you okay with that? Yeah, it's fine. Oh, okay. Okay. Because, yeah, I gave Roxana Thomas Ince. Uh, all right. So, Roxana's coming in with Thomas Ince. Uh, Pat, you can either do the dis- disappearance of Jean Spangler or you can do uh, the Virginia Rap uh, Fatty Arbuckle story. What do you want to do? What was the first one? Disappearance of Jean Spangler. Yeah, I don't know that one. I'll do that. Okay. And then I'll do Virginia Rap, Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, Jameson, let me give you um, a story. Can you do the death of Bob Crane, but the following week? I'll let you. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Is that okay? Uh, Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I don't know anything about it. I just know that it's like a Hollywood death story. Yeah, I don't know. My, my question is, is how... Uh, um, yeah, that's fine. Wait, what, but what's the question? <laughs> um, I was just going to say, if it was, I know it's kind of a mystery how he died, and I'm just curious as to... Uh, if it's if it's an interesting if it's that interesting it'll be it'll be fun to see if it's an interesting story or not. Oh okay. Well, if it's not, message me sooner and maybe I can give you something else. Uh, but okay. I feel like it's yeah, interesting. What I can find. Okay. Sounds Here we great. go. Uh, Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, is a collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tours, and it's available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, and share, because sharing is scaring. And don't forget to give us a five-star review, or check us out, and or check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash podcast for more exclusive content. 
stickers, shirts, and much more. Uh, and the live broadcast of tonight's show where you get to see me and my beautiful face and my wonderful room. Uh, and for more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at hollywoodshaunted.com. If you have any questions or suggestions, please email us and email us your wonderful stories of your uh, paranormal experiences, celebrity encounters, your home hauntings, your hometown hauntings uh, at hollywoodshaunted.com at gmail.com. At hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. Hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. What did I say? Hollywoodshaunted.com at gmail.com. Oh, I've had some wine. (laughs) 